You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Episode 98, Wednesday, April 15th, 2022. How you doing, Christina Dennis? I am doing wonderful, Damon Frank. It's Friday, and we love Fridays. It is Friday. I'm very excited about Friday. Uh, guys, uh, another live show. I can't believe it. April 15th. Is today tax day? I always forget. It is. It is. And I was thinking about when they used to do news shows. Do you remember that? When the, yes. the mailman, like the, the post office that was open until midnight so you could get your postmark. We're exactly. Old. I remember, I remember, look, uh, I, I remember that just driving in lines, mm-hmm. you know, being in lines to, to drop it off, to hand it to the postman who would yes. stamp it and put it into a bucket. Wow. Have things changed in just a couple of years. They really have. And I, I always thought, why do people wait till the last minute until I waited to the last minute? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's uh, episode uh, 98 is going to be great. We've got a lot of stuff. And one of the things we're going to talk about is early sobriety because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, having that game plan is super important. And I know when both you and I work with people, a lot of it is just this wreckage. And there's so much financial wreckage usually right. with people at the beginning of recovery. I know I had it. I'm sure. I don't know if you did, but it's yep. like. It's just like bills and all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, when you first come into recovery, Christine, it's tough. You know, you might not have the capacity to go out and earn like you did, uh, like you did maybe a couple of years before. So it just compounds the issue. It just compounds the issue. So anyone who's listening to this on tax day, we wish you the best. And here's a great thing. You don't have to wait in line anymore. You could do it online. And, uh, (laughs) You know, one of the great things about long-term sobriety is I do my taxes very early now. So good that for is, you. Uh, yeah, I that can't, is good. I can't say the same. I can't say. Before we get into it, though, I want to make sure that everybody knows that this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life Contributors and people like you. Keep sharing, liking, following, leaving us a comment. We love it. Extend the conversation beyond the show. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can make a donation if you have any money left over from the taxes and join the network, which is completely free. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. You know, uh, when people help us, we're able to help more people. Uh, Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, this has turned into a pretty big production show here. Right. Like, so we're, uh, we're, we're, we've got a lot of stuff going on with recovered life and right. thank you so much for mentioning it. And, uh, you know, just by going to info.recoveredlife.us, you can see everything that we've got going on. And if you're not a member of the recovered life community, please do that. It's totally for free. Now onto the show, enough of the shameless plugs. here. <laughs> we're going to well, go on to the show. Yes. Yes. And I love that we're talking about early sobriety and early re-entry into it. I recently read an article about the, you know, a lot of, a lot of support the first 30 days. And then after that, it can get really squirrely. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the topics that we've got on the first segment. We've got quite a show ahead for you guys today. Just to, just to, to let everybody know, we got two segments here. Uh, The first one is going to be how to create a support system in early recovery because that's very, very, very important. And then, of course, later on in the show, 
we've got TGIF sober. So hold on for that. That's always one of my favorite episodes of the week. So Christina, let's talk about this. How do we create a support system in early recovery? Well, I think the first step is being aware that you need one, right? Like that needs to be the message right off the top. We need a support system. We need to have help when we come back. And traditionally, recovery looks like if you are seeking a formal medical recovery, it looks like you have 30 days of amazing support, 30 days of somebody being there, people not drinking around you, people helping you. And then you get out and you have to go face all of that wreckage that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're going to dive more into this next week. We've got some stuff on the episode roadmap of talking about what's not working with early Mm -hmm. recovery treatment for people, because there's a lot not working and they're starting to find out. I think the pandemic escalated this, right? Because so many people were trapped and they find out what's really working here. And it is shocking that most of the stuff that happens in early sobriety with treatment centers, not all, not all, but a lot of it just isn't working. And, uh, you know, that, that was a little shocking to me when I started to look into that. It really isn't. I know that they use statistics for, let's say, a detox without without a program attached to it, and they put them all together. But if we looked at the recovery process for alcoholism, like we looked at any other, you know, disorder or something that needed to be addressed, we it would be dismal. You know, it would it, it would be considered a failure. And yes, exactly. We, and we need to do more than that. And I think that knowing. Uh, you and I both have long-term sobriety. I mean, seriously, so grateful for it. But that first five years are is incredibly difficult. So it's not only the 30 days, it's the six months after that you need support. And knowing that if somebody makes it to their five-year mark, the numbers go way up. 85% can stay sober. Yeah. yeah. You know, it is, um, you know, it's, these are one of these catch 22 things. When you talk about statistics, Christina, mm-hmm. when you talk about recovery rates, especially in 12 step systems and, um, sometimes therapy, because in, in my view, you know, it, there's so many variables, people who really work it, people mm-hmm. who don't work it, but all around, no matter what statistic you take, if, if we were treating something like diabetes, Mm-hmm. It, it would be considered a failure. Like no one yes. would do it. Right. Like, so, so the recovery rate is small for the amount of people that come in. The question really becomes, are the people who coming in that are really working it and have a really good support system, are they at an advantage? Do they have a higher recovery rate? And I would say that that is yes. I would too. I would absolutely say it was, yes, it was in my case, it was, um, the one of the cornerstones, if not the cornerstone, having a support system. And uh, I did an outpatient uh, treatment. And so I was lucky enough to have contact with a really wonderful facility and a really beautiful clinical director for three months. But we stayed in contact for years after. That is so great. And you know, Listen, Christina, one of the things that I want to talk about here with this topic was how to create a support system in early recovery. How, how do you do that, right? Like, so people might not have the kind of resources 
that yes. uh, that 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 other people have. Right. You might not be able to go to a rehab. You might not. I, I did not go to a rehab. You know, I, mm. I will tell you right now. So I was one of those people that did not do that. So how do you do that if you don't if you don't have access, let's say, to an inpatient treatment center? Well, my first step was to find a meeting that I felt like I was at home. Um, and so I tried many, there's a saying in 12 steps, 90 and 90. And I followed that rule. I went to many mm -hmm. meetings until I found the place that made that I felt comfortable in that had some long-term sobriety in it. And it became like a little family. I was 27 and I needed the guidance of others. Absolutely. You know, I think picking a group is is one of the biggest things, whether you're going to pick a group that's maybe uh, through uh, a 12 step group or yes. it's through an online program or whatever is, is having that group that you pick. You know, I want to dial this down a little bit because I know there's a lot of people that listen to the show that uh, are just coming into this whole recovery process and they might be in their first year and they haven't been able to really find a group right, right yet. How do you go? What What do you tell people? Because I know what I tell people uh, about looking for groups, about how to how to be a good picker right. of the people <laughs> that you're around, because there are, you know, just because they're in sobriety or in recovery doesn't necessarily mean it's going to mm -hmm. be the best choice for you. Well, I, I believe I was, it was a happy accident for me, but the time of day was really important. And I picked one at 6 a.m. And that meant the people who showed up were serious. You know, at the time I was doing it just because that was the only day that I figured I could, I could, that was the only time of day that I figured I could do it. Um, another thing is that, you know, look at the age group. You know, I was young when I came into recovery and there were definitely meetings that had the reputation of being more of a dating scene than it was actual recovery. Yes, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, this is the whole thing. Now, I don't think the social thing is wrong, like no. because I think that a lot of people are just geared very social and they mm -hmm. don't want to just go to a group or plug into a group. And this could also just be through a medical facility, right? Like I know yes. a lot of medical HMOs and PPOs, they have groups that they put on. It's kind of like, uh, it's not outpatient, it's it's outpatient, but yes. you go there every day, right? For the yes. first 30, 60, 90 days. It, I don't think the social thing is wrong. I think the social thing is good, but I think that you have to pick uh, But when you talk about dating in mm -hmm. the first 30, 60, 90, when you talk about who you're actually hanging out, are they relapsing? Right. Are they relapsing? Right. So I think for me, what I tell people is when you go and this, this goes to picking a, a 12 step sponsor or a coach or anyone else, like, do, are, are they sturdy? Like you talked about the 6am rule. Yes. Like, are they sturdy? Are they gonna, are they actually not kind of fly by night? Right, right. And it has the meeting been established for a while. I also like to tell people to look at the, you know, a speaker meeting is wonderful, but it needs to be a room at least once or twice a week where you're able to share and people can get to know you. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think one of the things too is in picking those groups of people about who you're going to hang out with and who you're going to do is I think sticking to one group of people mm -hmm. is good 
Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, the thing about addiction that's interesting is that especially in the first year, really the first five years, really, I would say, well, definitely the first three, okay, yes. is that you could just wake up one day and go, none of this is working for me. Even though your life is great and it's really right. worked for you, you you know, look, people that have addiction, they can wake up and go, no, no, I need a change. Yeah. None of this is working yeah. for me. This is BS. I'm not going to do it anymore, Right. Right, right. And I'm cured. I don't need to have it. And if you have friends and you have connections in those rooms, it's going to be a lot easier for you to show up. Also, they're going to, you know, call you when you're not there. Where are you? What's going on? You know, we, I do life with people in recovery. And just like I needed to have discernment in my friendships and my relationships, I needed to use discernment in my meeting. What do you think about, and I I heard this early in recovery, was to make sure that you have a step study meeting in your rotation. Yeah. Well, I think when we're talking just 12 steps, I think I, I, I think it's really a couple things are important in, in picking the meetings. What what I was very grateful is, is that I think before you pick the meetings, because you don't know what you don't know, right? right. Like if I was going to pick the meetings, it was where all the pretty and fabulous people were talking about BS. <laughs> yes. But really, like when I had plugged into, in my case, it was a sponsor who really was grounded in a, in a 12-step uh, system and was very connected. He picked the meetings for me. Excellent. And, and I, and you know what? And he, he always said half of your meetings have to be men group, men's group mm-hmm. meetings. Very important. Very, that, that was a game changer for me. Me too. I, I also was given that same direction to have women's meetings be the base of my uh, sobriety and my recovery program. Well, and- that wasn't men's group meetings because you would have shaken <laughs> things up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, I'm glad you brought up sponsorship because if you're not in a 12 step group, having a mentor or a coach or, you know, is different than having a therapist. And it's really important for you to have one person that you check in with consistently. Um, well, yes. Correct. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, a coach or a, a sponsor can do those things. They've been around. They have the experience. They can lead you into the right direction. Plus, they know your your whole story so much better than, you know, trying to catch somebody up. And one of the things that was told to me was get used to picking up the phone. And I was given the direction to make phone calls every day, whether I needed to or not, so that when I really needed to, that obstacle had been taken away. You know what? I think that that's an important factor that you're talking about there is, and you know, look, we're going to do a whole series of content just mm-hmm. on how to pick well, yes. in early sobriety, because I think it's so important. So many people have questions about this. Now I'm going to throw this, I'm going to throw this out here, Christina, and I want your thoughts on this because I believe that, uh, you know, I too believe that a coach is different than a sponsor. I've been both. Yes. Right. And I've used both right over, over my recovery. The the thing is about sponsorship with 12 steps. And there's a lot of different types of 12 step programs and there's church programs, yes. all different kinds of stuff. So when I, I always say 12 step because I don't want to name any of them because it could be any of them. Right. It could. I mean, there's a lot of ones that really work well. Yes. Right. Like and maybe not ones that were that like it, it didn't work for me but it works for somebody else. So I'm all for whatever works for you, right? But one of the things that I've seen as a mistake is there's this idea that I'm going to pick some sort of 12-step sponsor 
mm-hmm. or some sort of church-based sponsor that is going to work for me for free, basically, right? Right. And it's going to do it as a service commitment that's going to hold all of the answers True. that I have that's going to be able to solve all of my problems. And I found that that is a huge mistake. I think if you go into 12 steps and you're seeking somebody to help you in 12 steps, find somebody who's really good at Mm -hmm. 12 step sponsorship. They're not going to be your therapist. They're not going to talk about trauma issues or codependency or anything like that. So, so true. And, you know, when I uh, was attending five or six meetings, I would see the ones that wanted you know, minlings, they wanted to be worshiped and, and, you know, that might have kept them sober, but I really recognized at the beginning that if you're going to a 12 step group, you need somebody who knows the steps completely. And I have done very different things as a coach than I did as a uh, sponsor. You know, I knew, and, and it's even said that in the program that our job is to walk you through the 12 steps. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you, if you pick somebody that you think is going to have the solution to all of your problems, look, I have gotten incredibly bad advice <laughs> on certain things, right? Like we were talking about finances, uh, we we're uh-huh. talking about finances. Like, um, you know, I, I think that it's so weird because you would not go to a mechanic. I always say this, okay. you would not go to a mechanic who was unable to fix his car. Right. For advice, but in eight, but like in 12 steps, we go to, we go to people mm-hmm. who were not able to control their alcohol or drugs to get advice on how to not, right? Like it is a little, there, there, it's baffling. Like when people like, cause I've had friends that are, have, you know, they don't have addiction problems at all. They're like, this makes no sense at all. You're going to these people that, right? Like yes. it works, but it works. And so here's the thing, but not so much with other things. So for example, if, I, I don't go to somebody, a friend of mine, like I have friends who have a lot of financial wreckage. I'm not going to go to them and say, hey, can I get some tips on how to pay my taxes on time? Right. You know, and they haven't paid their taxes in five years. Like, I'm not going to necessarily do that. You have to go to the right source for the right thing. You you really do. And, you know, when we first get out of a program or we first come into recovery, we don't necessarily know that discernment isn't there yet. And so it's good to have these kinds of conversations so that when you're trying to figure out who do I contact, <laughs> make sure you know you have lots of options too. You have a sponsor that possibly can walk you through the 12 steps, let's hope. You have the option to join a group and work on those other issues. You have the option to get a therapist. And I believe if you're capable and able to, having all three is a really, really good recipe to maintain your sobriety and get you into recovery. Yeah. And I think we talked about coaching. What's the difference between, in your opinion, Christina, coaching and sponsorship, because I see them totally drastically different. Well, as a sponsor, my one job was to walk you through the 12 steps. And that was what was limited. As a coach, we talk about all of the other things that need to happen in your life. And a coach, my coaching program is based on my experience and finding people that want to work specifically on their codependency issue um, which there's many, uh, is really uh, the part where I'm able to walk them through all of the relationships. With a sponsor, you have one one route, right? One tool. 
make an yeah. amends. And I think mentorship, we mentioned mentorship is great too. I, you know, having have decades of sobriety, I do mentorship now mm-hmm. where I have gone to people to say, hey, you're really good at this particular issue. Right. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to do with a 12 step thing because here's a, the problem is all this bleeds into each other. Yes. Right. And I, I, what I like about coaching is co- coaching for me, like using a coach, it, it allows me to have kind of a quarterback. Right. I can look at the whole thing to say, it's like, okay, you know, look, you need to work on this thing with your therapist or, yes. you know, like, like, and you need to work on this thing in the 12 step group, or you need to work in this in mentorship, find somebody like, so for example, like I'm a mentor to people that are in my 12 step group that uh, are trying to grow their business a little bit, but it has to do more about their recovery or wreckage or something that's going on. It's not necessarily business advice necessarily as much as it's like hybrid. So, and I have people that help me out too, Christina, that like, I have a friend who's really good at one particular thing that uh, with relationships that I really, really count on a lot with great Mm -hmm. advice. And he's mentored me on like how to have better friendships or how to make connections with people. Exactly, exactly. And there's always the time compression with a coach too, that you're able to really dig deep into one area of your life with somebody and truly pull it apart and rebuild your belief system. What's next, Christina? What else do you think that people really need in creating a support system in early recovery? Well, I think that the next thing is about those relationships. Uh, As an interventionist, we treat the entire family. It's not just the addict. We ask the entire family that is surrounding the addict and wants to support the addict to go to their own uh, allied programs. But as a person who's early in recovery, you need to have... um, one or two people that actually understand what you're going through. And you need to be able to have the courage to set the boundaries within the relationship. You don't want a family member taking you off track and they may well-meaningly want to help you, but we need to know up front that we've been in treatment. We've had 30 days or 60 days, or we've had sobriety for 90 days and we're dealing with people who probably haven't. And I think that understanding that relationships can get really sticky when we first come out of recovery and have that set expectation, it's uh, one of the one of the things that we have to cross. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we discuss this a lot on, on the show um, and on Recovered Life is that there's a shock when you come from a dysfunctional situation, let's say, you then get sober You're Mm -hmm. now sober, let's say for a couple of months, 90 days, and you look around and you go, oh my God, this is a crazy situation. I can't (laughs) deal with these people. Right. Which is, and you know, it's funny because a lot of the times in coaching, you realize it's like, well, you made these people, right? Like (laughs) you're, you're a huge component, but now because you're no longer playing that game, you're no longer in that role. It's like the whole system breaks down and look, and, and I, I, and I, I'm a realist a lot of times with this, you know, that I am with coaching is that, you know, you could say, oh, people should go to their support groups or affinity mm-hmm. groups. Or, yeah. The reality is, is that a lot of people say, well, you're the one that had the problem, right? I'm not going to do crap. I'm the same person I was the whole time. Like, so it sounds great. 
but maybe out of a whole group of people in your family, maybe one will do that in the next couple right. of years, right? It's right. not as quick as like everybody's going to say, yep, I see my role in this. <laughs> well, you know, the relationships change when 50% of the relationship has changed. So if you've yes. had a transformation, your relationship as you remember it is no longer available to you. These are all new roles and rules. And so it's important to remember that they need time to adjust to that. Well, I think that's one of the things about what 12 step is like, look, it, not everybody in a 12 step program, this took me a little bit to, to figure out has their stuff together, right? right? <laughs> like you were talking times of the meeting. Like I, like, I remember going to some meetings at four o'clock in the afternoon because it was like, my work schedule was weird. And I'd walk into some of these in Hollywood and I was like, I don't know what this is. Right. But this is crazy. <laughs> like, it was like, I don't want anything that these people have. Like, it's like, I like, so you, you have to, you have to pick the, you have to pick the right stuff because it's not always a hotbed of mental wellness. And I no, think it isn't. the tip that I always give people is that I think you need to sit down with somebody that you trust. And if they're sober, that's great because maybe they understand, but you need to separate out. Okay. What is a life issue that's going on with me? All right. I, you know, if you're, if you have medical issues, you have financial issues, you have relationship, start to separate those out and start to build a team around you of people that are good. One of the biggest okay. things that I learned early on was, is I did a good job and I had people in my life that would say, you need to talk with this person about this issue. Right. Right. And it wasn't necessarily a paid thing. Right. It no. wasn't, I didn't pay them anything. Right. Like, um, I did some trades sometimes with people if they went out of their way, but I didn't have the money in right. early recovery to do it. But there, but what I found was, is that there were more than enough people out there that were willing to get me on the path. So, so true. I, myself is, uh, I absolutely did the same thing and I'm really, really grateful because I had a certain person that I discussed relationships with. I had a, a mentor in my field, in my career, and I had a mentor in, you know, some of the family stuff, plus a therapist. Yep, absolutely. Build that dream team, guys. Build that team of people that are going to work for you, that you're going to be able to get what you need to be able to get into a early recovery and an early sobriety that's going to put you on a path to long-term sobriety. More about, you know, more of this to come in future episodes because I think we're going to boil down these yes. actually individual specifics because that's what really helps people, Christina. It really, really does. Well, this has been an amazing segment. More show to come, guys. More show to come. I, I do want to uh, plug here real quick, Recovered Life Discussions that we've got uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, four times a week. Yes, four times a week. Mm -hmm. uh, we have we go, we go deeper than the show. And what, what, what do I mean by that, guys? We go into, these, in, into discussions with you, and you can join these discussions. They're on everything. We're going to talk a little bit about them in the next episode of TGIF Sober here. But but what we do is we've got these clubhouse recovered life discussions where people can come on and they join the discussion. And we talk about all of these issues and we want to know what you have to say. So here's how you do it, guys. It is so easy to join these discussions. All you have to do is become a member of Recovered Life. Just go to recoveredlife.us. You can become a member totally for free. You hit the little events button there. You got you dozens of things that you can participate in all the time. And I know, Christina, 
you're on Clubhouse having these recovered life discussions all week long. I sure am. It's such a beautiful community. The recovered life community is is just growing and it is really exciting to have like-minded individuals across, you know, sometimes on the other side of the world. Uh, wow. The relationships are are very real, and it's become something that is incredibly important to my personal recovery to to be there. Absolutely. You can access all of this and more. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Christina Dennis, coming back after the break, we've got our favorite segment of the week, TGIF Sober. Hold tight. We'll be yeah. back in 15 seconds. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. All right. Welcome back. Uh, We are just about to start our second segment. I love that break. It's a hype music. It hypes me up. I um, Before I do that, though, I want to remind everybody that the show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. So like, share, follow, leave us a comment uh, and let us get to know you. You can also visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can join the network that we're talking about completely free and leave a donation, which helps us to keep helping others. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Thank you so much for mentioning that. TGIF Sober, guys. TGIF Sober. This is our favorite segment of the week. Um, You know, before we jump into that, I wanted to mention something that's on the Recovered Life community. Uh, Christina, this has become such a huge part of my life, I have to tell Mm -hmm. you. And, you know, we don't want to shamelessly plug constantly on the show. We don't want to do that. Right. But but it's if there's value there, we want to tell people about it. And this thing Mm -hmm. being totally for free is amazing because we've got all of these contributors uh, just like you, Christina, that are on giving all this valuable information. And I have to tell you, uh, we, you know, had something last night, my old school meeting that we've been, that's been going on now. It's the oldest recovered life event that we've had. It's been almost two years now that mm-hmm. we've had this and it's been, it's, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, the amount of value and the in-depth discussions that we're having on the network are just, are, it's crazy. It, it really is. I mean, truly, uh, when I discovered Recovered Life, I couldn't I couldn't believe it, you know, that it's so available to us and all the resources are free. And the people that I've met there is astonishing to have deep, you know, deep actual connections. And it came at a time when we weren't connecting with a lot of people. So I think it's a really, really exciting new era in recovery. Absolutely. And you know what? This episode, TGIF Sober, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that happened in Recovered Life this week. Let's dive into this, Christina. TGIF Sober. Uh, wow. Kind of a crazy week for everybody. I know I say that every week. I, I, I do wonder. It's like, is do I just have like crazy weeks? Is that just normal? <laughs> I think everyone is still kind of in a shock about what we've been through the last couple of years. And there's a lot of things that are starting up again. And, you know, it's kind of like that slow boil. We're not exactly sure what's happening. And then all of a sudden there's crisis in front of us. So I think that everybody in the world's kind of having a crazy week. Well, you know what? I found myself. Let me let's get really real on this because I I love I love TGIF sober and I love recovered life discussions because we talk about what's actually going on with us, right? Yes. And both you and I have long term sobriety. 
Yes. But we deal with people every day. Not deal. Deal's not a, a great word. We we talk with people every day, mm -hmm. relationships with people who are new to this whole recovery thing, or they're in their first year or 30, 60, 90 days. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because through our journey with people that are coming into recovery, it brings up a lot of stuff about our own individual lives. It sure does. It sure does. Um, you know, I, I thank goodness I've done a lot of work, so I don't get triggered any longer when somebody shares, but it gives me, uh, it reminds me of the things that I've been through. It reminds me of the success that has happened in my life because of recovery. And it also reminds me that we are all so much more alike than we realize. Oh, we are. And, you know, and the thing, the thing that I got this week, let, like, let's dive into what happened. Okay. This week. Here was the epiphany this week with me is that I started to crave systems and routine that I had pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. Realizing that those weren't going to come back. It's kind of like a mourning period. Like yes. we, we talk about this, that I'm somebody who, who uh, experiences things later than sure. when they happen. I'm great in battle. Mm -hmm. And then a couple weeks or a couple months later, I'll start to feel that, right? Like, yes. what is that? And mm -hmm. I'll tell you this week, I felt a lot of, wow, it's like, I'm going to have to go even harder in reinventing a life in recovery that's going to be valuable to me that I'm going to want and be excited about, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be like it was three years ago. No, it isn't like it was. I, I think there was about, I would say for about 12 months, we all kind of thought we could get back to normal. And then it started dawning on me in the second year, there, there is no normal, like that is gone. That is gone. And so that's exactly what I was just saying about recovered life. Having those connections has brought an entire new layer to my recovery and recognizing yeah. I can still reach out to people. Right. Right. And, you know, but the thing is, is that like I found a lot of my friends, they want to they want to uh, do things virtually. Not mm -hmm. everybody yet. It wants to come back in L.A. We're going right. through these like new mask mandates and stuff now. I don't know if it's a mandate, but it's like, you know, there's a, this new hyper awareness of stuff. And there's a lot of people that I just feel and, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of one of them to a certain extent, kind of lost in the mm -hmm. OK it's that transition period. It's like, it, I, it's very similar. You know what it reminds me of, Christina? Very similar to 90 days sober. Okay, yes. well, I'm not waking up necessarily, like I'm not waking up and saying, okay, I drank the night before, right? Right. I'm sober, but yet I don't really, I'm not in the new world yet either. It's this transition, sure. but it feels it very similar to me. Wow, that's a really, that's really a, that's a good way to describe it. It is a whole new world, but nothing's happening right at this moment. And so recognizing that and being aware of it is, is I'm glad you're talking about it because one of the things that we talked a lot about in recovered life discussions on Tuesday was about shame and, um, and, you know, toxic shame in particular. And what, the conversation was wonderful. People had so many things to add about their shame. And as they started to share it, we know that empathy, once empathy is introduced, it, shame dissipates. 
And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we're as a, we as a society are yet right there to talk about it, but I believe recovering people are. Well, it's interesting because the way that you did the, the, the discussion on Tuesday was about linking perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Like th- there was this, this, this theme this week I found that popped up and it's interesting. We didn't plan the perfection. We had a whole week about perfectionism about a month ago where we had guests on and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and the funny thing is, but this week was a lot about perfectionism, perfectionism and this toxic shame and how it all melds together. It was very, very interesting. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we're still doing the Brene Brown Atlas of the Heart and she says it like this, uh, the birthplace of perfectionism is shame. And you, I love that she boils down data and makes it easier for us to understand and get to the point. But, you know, she shared about how perfectionism, you know, if you don't really look under the hood, it can look like somebody's yeah. striving. But the actual data shows us that perfectionism takes us farther away from our goals. It's not effective. And uh, the problem with it is then it becomes obsessive and addictive. So we fail, we fail at something. And the reason why we fail is one, because it's impossible. And then we tell ourselves the reason why we failed is because we weren't perfect enough. Oh, this is so good. You know, on Thursday, the meeting that we had, uh, the, the recovered life discussion we had yesterday uh, which is going to air here, guys. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you will start to hear these discussions that are going to come in so we can actually bring you, you know, five or six days of uh, uh, hours of content per week on the podcast. But one of the things that we discussed was problems making decisions. Mm. Uh, that was all about like the the whole unstuck theme. And this this was interesting. This came into the perfectionism area, too. And the toxic shame thing, this linked all up with this. Of course, of course, because perfectionism often leads to paralysis. Yeah, we were talking about one of the things were those three P's that uh, Brene Brown puts out a lot. Uh, And if you guys want those, you can go to Recovered Life and they're listed there. It's a really, Christina put a great post in the resource up there about that. But I love that, like how everything has got to be. And we talked about this decision-making how difficult it is for people in recovery sometimes to make decisions because they don't want to make, you don't want to make a a wrong decision because you maybe come from a history of making wrong decisions. So now that you're struck sober, you're like, well, I, I, if I don't, if I make no decision at all, maybe it's better, but then not making a decision is making a decision. It is. It is. And, you know, we talked about it, I think, in a recovered life discussion about how there's this elusive God's will, you know, and what I'm supposed to do. And I when I'm working with somebody who's new in recovery, they will often ask, well, how do I know that's God's will? And I say, well, you try it. And if there are roadblocks, you get hit in the head, you turn around and try something else. You know, you try it, you know, that Uh, spiritual two by four is a good indication that you're going down the wrong road. But perfectionism prevents us from thinking that we're allowed to 
uh, have make mistakes and it kills curiosity. And when you look at mastery, which is really what we're trying to say, it's what I mean, it's really what we should be saying. And we're trying to have mastery includes making mistakes. It's built upon making mistakes and uh, perfectionism kills mastery. Yeah. In coaching, I call this world, you're, you're being world-class at something mastery. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people get confused. I have been confused on that is that it's not perfectionism, you know, trying to become a master and great at world-class at something is a great thing. It's mm -hmm. not a negative thing. It's it, the perfectionism though. And this is the interesting thing that, that came out in the rooms this week is that perfectionism is an addiction. Yes, it, it is. An, it, it's the same thing. It's the setup, mm -hmm. right? Oh, this is going to fix me. This is going to write. And yes. then it leads right to the decline. It sure it's does. It's the same thing. It's an addiction. And we treat perfectionism with more perfectionism. And that is also why it can fall into the addictive, just like we treated our soul sickness with more alcohol. <laughs> That's it's, it. Yep, exactly. I think one of the deep things that came out of this too is that people were sharing about how they set themselves up in perfectionism. You right. know, uh, one of the discussions that I had uh, this week was with somebody who said that they realized that they were going out to people who they knew would reject them mm. because they weren't perfect. And they were setting up this perfectionism cycle and they right. were surrounding themselves by people. And they just had finally realized this. And it was just a beautiful thing. They'd realized like, hey, you know what? This is insanity. These people are never going to approve of this. Why do I keep doing this? Right. Very right. interesting. Well, I mean, to me, those are old belief systems and those people around you are signaling to you something that you learned in childhood. They are familiar to you because they remind you of a caregiver and trying to get that love that we didn't get as children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Great week. Anything you want to highlight on the week that really stood uh, out to you? Self-compassion. Self-compassion was another thing that we discussed. And I want to put these three points in about self-compassion because it's a cognitive. How do you talk to yourself? Would you talk to your child or another person this way? Uh, common humanity, which I think is, you know, understanding that everybody in the world has this going on, you know? And then the third point is mindfulness versus over-identification. And I love that. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. Um, where can they find out more about that? Um, I know that you put a bunch of stuff on Recovered Life about the three Ps. Yes. And about the other stuff that's, uh, if you, know, you uh, I love that. Yeah, once you join the network, which is completely free, you can look it up under topics, which is uh, neuroscience and addiction. And all eight chapters are there with all of this information outlined and easy to understand. It's kind of the bullet points of what we've been discussing the last eight weeks. Love that. Hey, this has been uh, a really great episode. Episode 98, Wednesday, April 15th, 2022. A lot of great stuff, guys, ahead on Recovered Life. Even more content if you listen to the lives and uh, the podcast. You're going to see even more content being filtered in next week. Any final thoughts, Christina Dennis? Have a beautiful weekend. It's a beautiful life. So 
Go out and take care of yourself. Go out and take care of yourself. Episode 98, Wednesday, April 15, 2022, in the can. We'll see you guys on Monday. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded